is Sandcast, Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawarda, presented by Marriott Vacation Club Rentals and brought to you by VolleyballMag.com. We have a different type of guest this week. We know that we have been uh, heavy on the, the content from interviewing players and having podcasts with them and nothing wrong with it, but we just wanted to have a, a little change of pace here. So we brought in our first college beach volleyball coach. We have LSU's Russell Brock, and, and Brock is going to break down a, a number of things, not even just with LSU, though he will talk about his team individually, but he also talks about just the state of college beach volleyball, how exciting of a time it is to be involved in it, and yes, how LSU is developing such a, a big program in a state that not many would associate with beach volleyball. So enjoy our conversation with our first coach on the show, and we will see you guys next week on Sandcast. Just give us a, a state of the, the LSU Beach Volleyball Union, sort of just how you guys are looking this year. I know you're coming off of an Elite Eight finish last year. Um, you know, any newcomers to look out for, any good talents that we should be keeping an eye on? I know that information in college beach volleyball is pretty minimal. So just let us know how LSU is looking and who to watch this year. Yeah, obviously last year, um, you know, in our fourth season, that was uh, probably ahead of schedule, just when we first started and kind of looked at the progression of our program and when our recruits would kind of be coming in and, and, you know, even attracting recruits that could really propel us into a situation where we could be competitive with some of the top programs in the country. Uh, so that was super exciting to kind of be ahead of the curve. Um, honestly, when we talked about the building process, we looked at not this season, but next season as the time where we could really, reasonably say, all right, a roster's together, a system's in place, you know, pairs are trained well enough that we can compete with teams that, that, you know, are legitimately contenders. Um, so that was super exciting to be able to be in that position earlier than we thought, which, you know, this year, um, you know, we've got another strong roster. I'm really pleased with the pieces that we have. Um, we lost, um, probably three of our players that were really big contributors to, um, to our program and success. And um, we brought in some players who we knew would be younger or maybe less experienced that, that could fill those gaps. And obviously we had players who were younger on the roster already that we felt could compre- com- uh, progress and come along. Um, so, you know, this season we, Um, definitely have been a position where we're still in that competitive stage with everybody at the top of the heap and um, really kind of looking even over the past couple weekends. I think that's one of the hard things about our sport to tweak our lineup and get our pairs just right so that we can be as competitive as possible all the way through. But, you know, we returned our ones and it's a couple sophomores this year who, you know, are definitely one of the top pairs in the country. And then we've got some other young players sprinkled through that are returners. And we've got a couple fifth years that are contributing and kind of everywhere in between. So it's kind of a hodgepodge from all over the country. Um, but that's, what's fun about our, our lineup is that, uh, you know, it's not a lot of players that many people know about, but they work hard and they run a system that we feel like can be, um, effective. And, um, it gives us an opportunity to compete um, you know, with anybody we step in the sand with. And I'm curious about the, just the recruiting aspect of it. So is it, is it difficult to sort of, are, are you recruiting like beach over indoor? What is the process? Cause I know that sir, can indoor athletes pl- also play beach or is it one way or the other? If you recruited to beach, you can play indoor or if you recruited indoor, you can play beach, I guess. Yeah. Take us through that process. Sure. Um, so we, if I'm recruiting a player, the players that I go out and recruit and look for and evaluate and communicate with and build relationships with, they're all going to be beach only athletes. Um, we do have some crossover players, some dual surface athletes, but anytime we come in contact with a player who says, yes, I'm interested in LSU, or if anybody comes into, you know, they say, look, I'm interested in both then that recruitment goes through the indoor side of things because if you're on an indoor scholarship, then basically you're, for lack of better terminology, their property. So kind of their allotment or the arrangement that they make with the indoor indoor program um, as far as when they can train, how much they can train in the sand is really kind of up to the indoor coach. So we have a great relationship with our indoor program. 
Um, we've our program started with basically our indoor team coming out to the sand and helping us get going. Um, so they're very supportive of us. But if they have a scholarship athlete, they may the arrangement they make with them may be different depending upon the player whether they can play, you know, not play their first two years and then play for the next three and use their fifth year, or maybe they won't let them come out at all until their fifth year. But that's that's a conversation that's had between. Um, the indoor staff and the particular athletes. So we don't plan on having them, but if we have them and they can break the lineup, then that's just a bonus for us because we, when we recruit, we try and build a standalone roster. Um, because if you have a beach athlete, traditionally, typically if they're beach only, they train year round, they're not going to go in and help the indoor team. They're going to be beach players. If they are indoor players that want to cross over a lot of times there's some that do dual surface and they're more likely to maybe have the opportunity or be given the opportunity to come out and train in the spring and try and, you know, make a lineup or help a program get better. But at least at our university, that's the way our program works, where if you want to do dual surface, your recruitment goes through the indoor side of things. And then the arrangement that's made with them is kind of how how much crossover training that you actually get from year to year or which years you might get more. That's so interesting to me, just, you know, being an indoor player, like I played indoor um, and then had to switch over to the beach. Luckily for me, I had played a lot of beach before I played indoor. But, you know, you said earlier you were, you had to, it, it took a while to, to get a certain system, the system that you're trying to run into place. How difficult is that when you are getting indoor athletes, people that are, or players that are used to running an indoor system and you're trying to teach them a beach system? Plus, you're, I mean, something I'm not familiar with is the fact that you're teaching an entire team, so multiple teams, a similar system. Or, or are you teaching a similar system to each team? I'm kind of interested in how that works. Like what brand of volleyball are you trying to teach across the board when you have yeah, players? I, yeah, the players that haven't even played beach sometimes. Yeah, it's and that's really a, a big challenge with beach volleyball as a team sport. Because you, you have all of these players that are out of practice every day. You can't just focus on two and kind of tailor your system to, to fit maybe what works for that pair best. Um, because even those pairs might change from year to year. So to have a system that works across the board and then as you get into the season, you can tweak and you can maybe have some people run different things or run it a little bit different way or give them a few more tools because they're capable or maybe they're further along in the training process as far as understanding all the things that we put in for the last two or three years versus a younger player that's still trying to really grasp, you know, the basics of what we're trying to do systematically. You know, those, that's, the, that's a huge challenge for a team thing as opposed to, you know, I'm a coach and I train a pair and I'm just trying to make them be the best that they can possibly be. Like that's a completely different animal. Right. And then you add in these indoor players that you get maybe for six weeks before the season starts the first time around. And then they go back indoor and then maybe you get them six weeks and you try and give them a refresher course and, and, and get them back up to speed and anything new that you've been training all fall, like try and just give them a hint of what it might be. So maybe they can incorporate it into their game. Like that's, that's for sure a challenge. I think part of the process and, kind of another wrinkle that we haven't even talked about yet are these fifth year players that are popping up everywhere where they played four years for a university, maybe they didn't have beach and now they're excited about the opportunity to go play somewhere and you have to get them up to speed because you only got them for a season or maybe for, maybe for two, but that first season you only got them for a few weeks before you get started. Part of the process in, in that recruitment or even looking at these indoor players crossing over and how successful they can be at your own university is like what tools do they have in their indoor game and being able to evaluate them on film or in person to say, you know what, this is the stuff that's going to translate really well to our game. Or these are the things that are going to limit their ability to be successful on the short term. And that can make them either more attractive or less attractive to come in because it's got to be a fast transition. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the training really ends up happening with those kids and even some of the new players. All right, what do they do well and how can I um, help them understand how it 
directly translates to the beach game. So I can take some of that, that his, the, like the back, the history of training out of the mix and maybe fast forward parts of it because they're already like far enough along in the progression just because of how they do things indoor, as opposed to maybe a different indoor player that doesn't do things that would translate well. And it may, may or may not even make them successful indoor, but it could be just the way their arm is or the way they move or, you know, how much they broad jump when they approach, you know, little things like that. If they, you know, if they have great platform work or, you know, if they're really tied into like indoor technique, they can't really flow as well. Like those are all things that you can look at and see, okay, that's going to make them translate quickly, or maybe that's going to make it more challenging. And that can be, you know, whether that can limit their usefulness if there's just too much work to be done before they can get plugged in. Totally. One of the things that I'm curious about, so we mentioned kind of the the hurdles that you have to jump between recruiting indoor players versus beach exclusive players, but being in Louisiana, I feel like geographically that might be kind of a challenge too because you look at when you think of beach volleyball, I don't Louisiana is probably not the first state that comes to mind. That's probably Southern California. So, and you've built a, a top 10 program in a landlocked state for the most part. How do you go about getting top flight talent to Louisiana as opposed to Southern California, which traditionally has dominated the sport? For sure. And, and rightfully so. I mean, it's, there's just a, a, a massive advantage from a recruiting perspective that you've got these kids and, and, you know, I went to SC and so I understand the passion that's involved, you know, with the tradition of all those schools out there with UCLA and Long Beach and, you know, these people that grow up in those areas that want to go to those schools that have played the sport their whole life and their parents played and their grandparents played and that's what they just do. So inevitably there's a big advantage to that. So you know, for us and, and the re the realistic perspective is a lot of those players, they're not interested in leaving California and I get it. Like I, I don't hold it against them. It's a beautiful place. And, and there's tons of opportunities to play the sport at a really high level out there. So for us, it's been, um, to try and build our brand, um, as a beach program, um, to prove that we can play the game and play it well, to become attractive to people who, regardless of where they're from, that they that they respect it and they know that we can train well and we can give them opportunities moving forward um, to continue to play the game and we compete compete at the highest level. Um, and that's what takes time to have to prove that you can do those things um, season after season. And we haven't been around very long to prove that we can do it. But as we've grown and we've become better. That's kind of opened some doors to recruiting. But our main recruiting has been to find the very best players in the country who may or may not be from California. I mean, we would love to say our roster is full of top-tier, blue-chip California prospects because I think that that's the quickest route to um, kind of accessing potential at an early phase of development. Um, but those top tier blue chip players are not leaving California very often. So we've had to look for, um, people who once again, have the tools, um, have the athleticism, um, have the dedication to the sport and, or maybe getting some training and playing at a really high level in other areas, um, and attracting them. Cause you know, we've got players on our roster from, um, we've had them from, you know, Ohio and we've had them from Texas and we've had them from Arizona and we've got kids from Florida. So, you know, they're coming from all over the place, but we're looking for the very best talent wherever it might be, because we know that we have to pull, um, to compete with, with that level of, you know, that volume of, of prospects that are available out in California. We, it doesn't, we can't, we can't care where they come from. They just have to be able to to have these tools that are available and then we hopefully we can train them and give them the experience and put them in a system that allows them to overcome maybe those traditions of um, the history of the game that, that people just have in their bloodline um, until we can become good enough to maybe attract those. And, you know, LSU is a pretty unique place. I think people that come and visit us, um, if they're willing to kind of move away from where they've been, they're, they're always impressed. We're, you know, an athletic department that, that's 
that invests so much in top level um, athletics and still has a great academic um, offering is 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 a pretty special place. And to have you know to be basically the the big university within a state where you know a lot of states have tons of universities. Um, it's it's something that's really special. Um, and then you know our new facility that's being built for beach only is going to be fantastic. There won't be any place like it um, on you know, in college beach volleyball. So, you know, there's a lot, we have some downside and we have a lot of upside and we try and, you know, we try and focus on our upside. And, and I, I always tell recruits, well, if what you want to be is on the beach in California playing, I can never, I can never give you that, <laughs> you know, on a, on a daily basis, it'll never happen. But there's a lot of other things that if you want, we can provide it and we can provide it at a super high level. And that's, kind of been our recruiting process yeah when i uh let's see i visited lsu the first time i saw it was maybe my sophomore year of college and that's like one of my favorite things is to visit college campuses and i loved lsu i, I think that the mike the tiger exhibit is one of the Great. coolest things on any college campus i've seen and so you guys you're currently playing at mangoes um and we talked about this earlier well new orleans also just louisiana in general has a high volume of beach volleyball complexes too, like an unusual amount for a state that doesn't have like natural beaches just close by. Uh, Cause there's mangoes, there's white sands, there's coconut beach where the AVP played. So is there a decent beach volleyball culture in the state? Cause I know the panhandle in Florida are pretty close by. So it doesn't seem like it's too much of a stretch. Like it's not like you're trying to build a, a beach program in say Ohio or something. We're going to pause there for a quick commercial break from our wonderful sponsors. You're listening to Sandcast, Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Moore, presented by Marriott Vacation Club Rentals and brought to you by VolleyballMag.com. VolleyballMag.com is, of course, your daily digital news source for all things volleyball, from NCAA women and men to beach volleyball on all levels to international and more. VolleyballMag.com, the only media outlet that covers our sport on all fronts every day. This podcast is also brought to you by Marriott Vacation Club Rentals, which offers the best vacation accommodations and the world's best vacation destinations. Wherever you travel to Florida, if you wanted to go visit the FIVB major, to Hawaii, if you want to go see my boy Tri at the Outrigger Canoe Club, to Europe, to California for any of the AVP and FIVB events out here on the best coast, choose to rest in our luxurious guest rooms, suites, or villas for your next getaway. Villas offer all of the comforts of home, including a full kitchen, living and dining area, and separate bedrooms. Stay with the Marriott name you know and trust. Book big spaces and great places today. Visit www www.mvcrentals.com yeah it's it is um remarkably popular um and really inexplicably inexplicably <laughs> I, I don't i don't understand it um but there are you know there are probably there's at least 10 beach facilities within a 50 mile radius around us um, and they continue there's a brand new one going across the street right across from us and just to kind of help you understand, um, Mangoes has grown over the past few years. There's 13 courts now, and um, it's lighted, fenced in. It's got a big restaurant. It's super popular. Well, every night of the week, they have leagues that'll play, and it's fours leagues, and it's some incredibly sloppy volleyball. But uh, <laughs> they start at 6 o'clock at night, and they go to about 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, they play fours, and... Every night of the week, every court is packed. Um, and when the leagues finish and the new league would start up, they don't grandfather, they don't guarantee anybody to come into the next league. Um, so the Sunday they'll open at noon and Saturday night during the evening, people will start lining up around the facility like Black Friday with tents and they party and they hang out because when they open the doors, the only way you get the court you want and uh, the night you want is if you're early enough in the process to pick what you want to get. Wow. So, and the courts are um, by level. So if you're an open player and you want to be on court one on Tuesday night, but you're way down the line, you might end up only being able to play on Friday night on the C court because you weren't there early enough. So it's, and that's just how popular the sport is. I, I cannot explain it. I don't know how it works, <laughs> but it is it's far and away the most popular like adult 
activity within the greater Baton Rouge, New Orleans area. I mean, just everybody does it all the time. There's leagues running year round and in the winter, they still come and play ping pong and dodgeball, And they just love to be in the sand and, 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 uh, play the sport. And that's good for us because they also love to support our team. So we get great fans who know the game and love it. And, you know, you see those, the wannabe guys, you know, they travel around all over the place. So they go to AVP events, they go to everything. And, and those are, I mean, that's Baton Rouge guys that, that do that. They just love the sport. The wannabes get, get some kind of shout out or reference on almost every <laughs> podcast we do. They, they'll get some kind of mention. <laughs> so it's only fitting. <laughs> we need yeah, to make our do. way. We need to make our way out to Louisiana, Travis. Yeah, that for sure. Amazing. It's it, for well, sure. it's it's one of my favorite places. I'm sold. And one of the, my go ahead, one of my Russell. favorite story one of my favorite stories about LSU, and it's not necessarily about beach volleyball, but there's a great um, interview that Scott Van Pelt did after he came to one game at LSU for football, just talking about the environment and um, the city and and how they're so passionate and love their sport. And you, and you mix that passion for LSU with, you know, a love for the game. And it's just a really unique experience. And once again, that's part of what we sell. Like it's a huge honor to have LSU across your chest and to be playing a sport that everybody's so passionate about in our area. And I just want to say for our listeners too, for the record, mangoes has the deepest sand I've ever played in. (laughs) And deeper, deeper than Manhattan, deeper than Hermosa. Mangoes is number one. So they're not playing on just these concrete beach courts out there. Like this is a legit complex. It's awesome. It's true. We and and we've uh, made it clear as we build our new facility. You know, we had them come out and visit Mangoes, and we're like, listen, we're we're not looking. We want that. Like we don't ever want to go anywhere and and not be able to play our game. Like we want the deepest sand to train in, the deepest sand to play in, so that anywhere else we go, we can still function and play our game. And then when people come to us, they're you know they're gonna beat our nets into the into the ground. So <laughs> that's what we like. And one of the things that I'm curious about. So Theo Bruner, for example, he grew up in Connecticut. And he was recruited to UC Santa Barbara and his parents didn't want him to go because they they kind of built up this myth of the Southern Californian volleyball player. They're like, I don't know if you're going to be able to compete with them. Do you get any of that? So like if you guys come out to do a tournament at USC or a tournament where, you know, UCLA and USC and Pepperdine and Hawaii are all there, was there at, at first? I'm sure maybe some of it's gone now, but was there any kind of this mythical Southern California intimidation where they're like, Oh gosh, like we got to play the Southern California girls. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's natural with any programs you haven't played, you're not familiar with. And, you know, coming from USC, I was able to kind of help them understand how that works and, and uh, kind of give them a little extra motivation, but it, it doesn't matter. If you've never been across the net from somebody that's won national championships there's no way to prepare anybody for that mentally. Um, and you can play your game, but until you realize your game actually translates well and you can compete, then it's super difficult. And last year was the first time that we took our team out to California. And that was by design. Like when we looked at, when we game plan, once we had that roadmap of how we want to get to where we want to get, I didn't want to take them out before they, their game would allow them to compete. So last year when we went, um, for sure, there was a lot of those jitters. There was a lot of that uncertainty. There was a lot of that not really knowing, not believing. And that's the key. You gotta, you gotta know and believe that you can compete on that level on that stage. Um, and that opportunity initially was, it was like a challenge for them to, to let their game just happen like they, they were thinking a lot and they were looking around a lot but then as we got through that first weekend and started playing our game a little bit better and realizing hey we can we can do this then um, we did pretty well by the end of the weekend this year when we went out it was a little bit better there was a little bit less of that learning curve you still have some people that are out there for the first time but we had the bulk of us like we had some experience so you know the idea is the more and more that you've earned the right to be in that position, the more and more you handle that on a better and better um, 
you know, style of play and, and you can translate more quickly and feel more comfortable. One of the things that we've seen too is with the development of the college game, a lot of the college girls will also compete in the AVP qualifiers and a lot of times main draw when they're not in college. They won't accept the prize money to retain their amateur status. Do you encourage your girls to play in those like when they can? I mean, obviously traveling from Louisiana to Southern California is a lot more difficult than driving down the road for the SoCal and UCLA girls. Um, But is that kind of something that you encourage them to get into just to see just different levels of talent and just a a whole bigger stage too? For sure. Um, We definitely want you know, our players and we've got some kids from California and we've got some kids that are from Arizona and from some places that are not as far away. And, you know, the whole, the whole progression of juniors volleyball has been just unreal how fast and how big it's gotten and how fast it's gotten there. So, you know, kind of what's been happening for kids from other areas of the country is they're going out and they're splitting houses or they're doing, you know, Airbnbs, they're getting places, condos that are, you know, near Manhattan or Hermosa or, or Santa Monica. And they're just living out there for like a month and a half and, and playing that kind of SoCal circuit that all the kids that live out there do all the time. Um, so even as our juniors are doing that, and so kids that we recruit from Kansas City, they go out and spend the summer in California or kids that we recruit from Ohio, they go out and spend the summer in California or Texas. Like that's kind of a natural progression um, for them once they get in to college and then they, you know, during their summers, they'll still go out and train and play and be in those events. That's going to allow them to progress. And really, you know, our best players, regardless of where they're from, if you're really good, it doesn't matter where you're from. Like you kind of get in that inner circle and you compete against the same girls and you once again, gain the familiarity and a comfort level of playing with these big time, big name recruits. And you already know, look, I I played them every summer when I was a junior, you know, and I could compete with them. It doesn't matter what color Jersey they're wearing right now. Like I, I know who they are and they know who I am and we get after it when we play. So I think as the juniors level has grown and the sport itself has developed and with the understanding that, yeah, the best ball, regardless of where you're from, is going to be out in Southern California. Um, The availability of families kind of getting out of the indoor club scene and really investing in beach and taking the time, energy and, and finances to go out there and spend summers and compete at a super high level every summer has allowed talent from all over the country to get better and better. And then that's been the formula to continue to improve in the summers when, um, you can't go home to where you are and get that kind of, uh, competition. And then we have a, we do have a couple fan questions for you, but before we get to those, I just want to kind of give you the opportunity, just any specific players that we should be watching for from LSU, any top teams that, fans from Southern California who might not know a lot about LSU beach volleyball, you know, any names that you think that uh, we should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, our, our most talented team and for sure our, our best pair and, and they are a blast to watch, um, are our ones and their sophomores this year. They played ones as freshmen last year and, um, Claire Coppola and she's from Arizona and Kristen Nuss who's a local kid from New Orleans, um, they are a blast to watch. I mean, your traditional, uh, you know, stay at the net blocker, but she's athletic and can pull in and contribute a little bit in that way. And then uh, Kristen is 5'6", and she's probably the fastest player I've ever seen in the sand. And not just straight line, but change of direction, reaction. And her hand-on-ball or shot-making ability is is. I don't want to overblow it, but it's impossible to say it's not magical. Like she just can create, um, see the game and create so well. Um, and she has enough lift that she can, um, you know, she can get on you if you decide you want to pull on her. Um, so they're, they are a blast to watch and they're coming off a, a good weekend where they, um, you know, went undefeated and beat Pepperdine's ones and South Carolina's ones and, um, you know, put on a good show and had a, and had really 
when we were out in California last weekend, um, they had some really tough matches, but ended up, uh, you know, being better because of it. So they're young and they're super talented and they're, they play a really fun brand of volleyball. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch. It sounds like a good combo. Yep. They're, they're, they're good for sure. It was a bummer that you guys came. Sorry, go ahead. Try. No, I was just going to say, I feel like, you know, I'm watching a lot of, um, a lot of times when I'm watching uh, women's college volleyball, I see a lot of players, uh, a lot of those blockers at the net that that love to drop often. Mm-hmm. So it's actually rare that I that I hear that there's a a blocker that wants to stay at the net and is a little more aggressive in that sense. And then to have such a good athlete behind her, that sounds like a really fun duo to watch. And honestly, I think that that's one of the incredible things about the progression of our sport is. You know, as there's been more and more athletes that play the game that are starting to dedicate themselves and train, that means all these programs are getting better just because there's, you know, more talented athletes committing to play the sport. So the pool is deeper to pick from, but all these programs play different styles. So now you're getting all these, these, not only is it me trying to be better than you athletically, but I have to unravel the style you're playing. And like you said, there's tons of teams that just pull a lot. So you have to be able to, um, you have to be able to, to play a game. You have to be able to create pace and angles, um, to beat a team that just wants to drop on you. You have to be able to set well enough to put your, your partner in, in a position to be able to beat that system. But then you're going to run up against somebody that is big and wants to stay at the net. And now you have to be able to shoot and you've got to be able to create in that. So it's, it's really fun. Um, not only to be able to train a style that we want to play, but also be able to train and, and kind of, uh, evolve your game to know, okay, we're going to play this program and this is what they like to do. And then we're going to flip it around and play this program. And this is what they like to do. And understanding the surfaces where like, we're going to play some places jumpy and fast. And then we're going to play someplace that's deep and slow and and is on the beach and it's going to be super windy. Um, So there's so many nuances. So it it makes it challenging to build a roster that can compete in all those styles. And what we found this year is we wanted to build our roster to compete well at Gulf Shores against those top eight teams. Um, And we've had to really work hard to still maintain our ability to compete against these, you know, smaller teams that drop a ton and are super scrappy. Um, and that's, and that's been, you know, it's a challenge to be able to shift gears because you can't really shift your roster when you play those, you have to put your same people out there. Um, but they have to be able to adapt and play both styles. Um, but cause we traditionally, we're going to run, you know, a blocker that wants to dominate the net and stay there and pull less and a defender that can fly around and make plays. But sometimes that'll put you in a bad position if you're playing against people that are scrappy and want to drop all the time. So um, that can, that can expose you. They're going to set the ball off the net and make you pull, or they're going to move around front behind or fake and run things that are going to make it more challenging for your bigger, maybe less mobile blockers. So you got to, train your blockers to be able to handle that and your defenders to be able to adapt to that. So that's a, that's a really fun part of the, the training and, and competing aspect of the, of the sport as it grows. Yeah. That's why we love it. It's a, yep. it's a great sport. We're going to pause there for a quick commercial break from our wonderful sponsors. Hi everyone. Amanda Dowdy here. I'm a professional beach volleyball player and I absolutely love the benefits of firefly recovery. I use the Firefly straps to help boost my recovery while I travel, after training or practice, and in between matches at a tournament. It is simple to use, and its small size makes makes it perfect for travel. Firefly recovery has become a staple in my training regimen, and honestly, it should be in every athlete's gym bag. Check out Firefly recovery for yourself and change your game. I'm and curious. There's lots of different ways to be successful, and that's what's awesome about it. Are you able to tweak your lineup at all? So, so with beach volleyball, you have teams one through five, right? And then best out of three wins the overall match. But say your number two might match up better with, like, say you're playing Pepperdine. And your number two right. might match up better with Pepperdine's number one than your number one at the time. Would you be able to flip that and sort of play matchups? Or how does, how does the lineup setting work? 
Yeah, so the sport is growing. As it grows, um, the rules become more developed and um, kind of the understanding of, of how we want the sport to play uh, to play out um, kind of becomes more and more defined. And we're, you know, we're early in the progression from, you know, from historical perspective of what our sport's going to be. Um, and so basically what governs it is a really, it's like a skeleton, um, set of rules. Like they're not super well defined. You know, if you look at indoor volleyball, like every single detail of every single question that could ever be asked has been answered because it's been around so long. You know, our sport is, um, new and the rules are pretty limited and every year they kind of get a little more, um, defined, but it's, it's harder to govern and to set up and to really, so, so basically you can move up one, one up or one down from one match, any player or pairing that's legal within the rules. What over kind of oversees your lineup is you're supposed to play them in rank order. Like your top team is supposed to be your best team. Your second team is supposed to be your second team and third, fourth, and fifth. So to flip people just for matchups isn't necessarily illegal because you're only moving them one spot, but you may have a tough time convincing somebody that, that all of a sudden your twos became better than your ones. And now they should be your ones and your ones should be your twos. If you're looking at the letter of the law, as far as playing them in rank order. So, but it's not necessarily directly illegal. So there is some matchup um, switches that happen. And, and part of the, the process of developing the very, very best lineup is that your fives are as good as your ones. Like that's the ultimate best lineup. So in that, in that scenario, if your ones and twos are very comparable, then you have the ability to potentially flip them for matchup purposes and not get outside the spirit of the rules where, you know, your then your two is clearly not as good as your one. Um, because that would be like stacking your lineup. Like I know I can't win the one, so I'm going to flip my ones and twos so I can maybe win the two and get one of those as opposed to if I leave them in rank order, then I'm going to lose them both. So that's kind of that fine line where you want your lineup to be as even through the lineup as possible. So you have the ability to make those changes without absolutely kind of thumbing your nose at, at the, the overarching uh, spirit of the sport. Um, but still give yourself an opportunity to to maybe stylize your matchups so that you can compete and against certain teams better than you could if you just left them stagnant all year long. So it's it's almost like an etiquette thing at at a point. For sure. Okay, because that's uh, I I was thinking about that because I didn't know if if anybody had like with Sarah and Kelly last year if anybody would have like you said, put their one into the two slot so you could at least try to split it instead of going over two. I wasn't sure if that was something that became prevalent because with 103 straight wins last year, <laughs> they were, that's almost as close to a guaranteed win as you can get. For sure. And that's, you know, that's, you would hope that people wouldn't do that. And honestly, I don't, I didn't look at every one of their matchups cause you'd have to like really look at the roster and see if people were flipping, um, you know, to, to give themselves maybe a better opportunity to, to steal one at the two because they knew they weren't going to win the one. But I'm, I can't say that it didn't happen, but I would like to say that for the most part, everybody played it straight up and just with the understanding that, hey, we've got to find a way to get three out of the other four. And that's a tough position to be in, but that's another reason why you want to have a really, really good pair at your one so that you give yourself the opportunity to be, to be successful. Makes sense. And want to get into some fan questions for you. So the first one is from my good buddy, Jordan Dyer. I'm not sure if you've played with him or, or are familiar with him. 
I actually am. I, I, it's funny. I think uh, we got an email from him today. They're coming to us next weekend, and, and I, uh, he wanted another copy of the schedule. So hopefully that's <laughs> not his question because I'm already going to answer that one. It is. That's not his question. Um, he goes, I got a softie for Coach Brock. For all the aspiring vegan beach volleyball players out there, what pregame meal does he recommend having, whether it's the night before or day of? <laughs> Oh, well, that's a nice question from Jordan. I'll have to thank him in person. Um, I guess, uh, thankfully, I don't have too many pregame meals for myself anymore. But, uh, you know, I tend to go down the uh, the beans and rice trail as much as possible. So, um, you know, if you can get a, get a burrito or, uh, you know, just get a, one of the kind of those bowls that has a little bit of everything in there. Um, that's, that's probably the route that I personally would go. Um, I don't know that I'd try and convince everybody else to get on that bandwagon, but it's worked <laughs> for me. I'm, I'm a little bit farther down the trail than most aspiring, uh, competitive athletes are these days. And for the, for the non-vegans, are you guys having crawdaddies out there in New Orleans before you play? <laughs> we try not to do crawfish the day before. We might do one like at the end of the event, kind of a little celebratory thing. And it depends on if it's crawfish season as well. But we do at our uh, at our last home event, we always do one day. We'll do a crawfish boil for the fans to come out because you know there's nothing there's nothing probably more attractive to uh, the beach volleyball fans around our neck of the woods. And if you do a beach volleyball event with free crawfish, so yeah, that's, that's when I'm coming out. Pretty, there you go. That's a pretty popular day. Try. Have you ever, have you ever had crawfish? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I have. I mean, I've had a lot of shrimp and that kind of thing, but, uh, no, well, I don't think thing, I have. Though. You know, I need, I need, I haven't been down to the south enough. I need to get down there. I need to check yeah. out LSU. I only went to New Orleans once for a bachelor party, so you know how that goes. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't like sat down and like just had them dump a bunch of them in front of you and then nah. just get sloppy breaking them open, then you really like you might have had crawfish in something. Yeah. But exactly. to really go to crawfish boil, you gotta. Like your fingers have to be sore from just breaking them open and getting oh, after sold. it for a while. I'm like sold. that that that's you won't forget that. You won't you won't say like I'm not sure you're like, Yes, I've had it and it was on that date. And it took me yeah. this long to recover. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, uh let's let's get the sandcast out there. Maybe we do a little like uh I don't know. We'll make up an excuse to get out there and get our crawfish in. There you go. We got to <laughs> see the wannabes at some point. We mention them yeah, every got, time, so we got to come down and have a, a wannabe crawfish boil sandcast. Oh, oh that's man, good. That'd wannabes be... need to fly us out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, next time I see them, I'll, I'll mention it. Perfect. Yeah the the very first tournament I ever played in New Orleans was the annual White Sands uh, crawfish boil, and it was I think it was a fours tournament. And it was that was the first time I ever had him. I must have had like ten pounds of crawfish. <laughs> did, yeah, did, can't a, say it was a good performance start. enhancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, now that we've discussed the the pregame and, and during match meals, uh, on to our next band question. This one's from Rainmaker. Uh, I says you had a kid, Almer. Um, something along those lines, playing the ones last year, didn't see her later in the season, haven't seen her this year. Is she hurt or redshirting? I guess, can you give us any more detail on that? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's part of the progression of the sport, and we've talked about it before. Um, you know, when I, we have players that uh, that come into our roster um, or when we're recruiting players, you know, I always tell them, I'm straight up, my job as a coach is to out-recruit you this next year and the year after and the year after your job as a player is to take our training and to take our weight room experience and to put yourself in a position that people won't catch you. Um, and so I'm really open that we're going to put the lineup out there that is going to give us the very best opportunity to win. And that's going to be the only part of the equation that, that matters as far as who is in our lineup. Um, and Ashley is she was a hard worker. She's, and she's kind of on the cusp of our lineup, but you know, we've had players that 
that come in and, and are good and she's good too. And as your roster grows and you're deep, um, as is there is with every sport and that's the way we want to be. We want to be a competitive environment where, um, you know, from year to year, nobody's guaranteed anything. And the way that you put your best position forward, um, to be in the lineup is you bust it year round. And sometimes even when you do, you're still going to get passed up. You're still going to have to work. You're going to have to find a way to, to be a little bit better, be a little bit farther along so that you can either get in the lineup or stay in the lineup. So, you know, as we've gotten more competitive, um, players like Ashley who do everything that we ask are just fighting as hard as they can to make that lineup and to, to earn a spot. And she's one of the ones that's in the mix and hasn't been, she's not injured right now, but she's, uh, you know, she's fighting to get in the lineup and, and she's got a good chance to do it, but everybody else is fighting too. And that's kind of the nature of our sport and really the nature of life. I mean, that's what, you know, we're, we're trying to raise our, our players and our, you know, our own kids to understand that, you know, there's opportunities out there, but everybody's fighting for those opportunities and you've got to be willing to prioritize and sacrifice and get after it to, to give yourself the best chance. And that may still may not be good enough, but you don't want to have any regrets, um, you know, at the end of the day. Love it. It's a good problem to have for a coach. For sure. You'd rather have it that way than to, to know exactly who you can put out because nobody else can help you. <laughs> right. And now we'll do one more fan question here for you. This one is from Guest 2. Kind of an interesting one, and this one sparked a fair amount of discussion afterwards. Do you see it as a problem that such a high percentage of head beach volleyball coaches are men? And I think he put out the number that seven of the top ten are men and more than half of the top 20. And why do you think more than half of the women's head beach volleyball coaches are men in the first place? That's a good question. And I, I think you could even spread that across to, um, you know, to indoor volleyball. I mean, Mary Wise at Florida has been the only, uh, only women's head coach to ever compete for the national championship. And that to me is amazing. Um, because obviously the sport is dominated um, at the youth and adult or like a youth and college level by women athletes. Like the, the numbers are astronomically higher per volume um, for for women. And so to not have more successful women coaches um, to me is pr- is pretty amazing that it just hasn't happened because they're clearly talented. So. Um, I don't know that I'm well enough versed on all of the details, but I think part of it's going to be, um, you know, that, that maybe a lot of them aren't choosing to go down that route. Um, I think that part of it is, um, that, uh, well, I, I think that's gotta be part of it, but from our sport, um, you know, they, they want you have to want to to kind of do that, and I think that there are some successful coaches. But even you know, Anna's obviously been really successful. Nina's been really successful. Brooks done a great job down at Florida State. So some of the major programs that are really really good um, have women's coaches. So it's clear that they can be successful. It's clear that they can get the job done in the training. Um, but I think there's also a lot of maybe really really great women candidates that have grown up in the beach game that that are women that maybe aren't even interested in going down that road, um, aren't looking to, to break into it. I think if they, if there were more that wanted to, I think that they would absolutely have the opportunity because I think that administrators, um, would love to have more qualified, enthusiastic, um, women to lead their programs, especially in beach volleyball. Um, so I think I don't know the reason why um, entirely, but I know that that it would be an option that would be available to them, and I think and I know that they could be successful doing it because I've seen it happen. And you know, I think uh, you know Beth over at Georgia State is another one that does a really really great job with a program that you know that is challenging um, from a lot of perspectives to to get athletes just because of where they are. Um, but she continues year in and year out to put out, 
great programs. Um, you know, and Christina down at, at Stetson, once again, she's doing a good job with that program. It's a small school, but they continue to, to get competitive teams and, and do things really well. So I don't think it's a matter of um, them not being able to, to get it done or not being qualified. I think it's just there aren't a lot of, of women who want to be great and want to be, um, you know, kind of invest in that sport um, to, to take over and get the opportunities and get it done because I, I know that they can. I've seen it happen too often to, to not believe it can continue to happen. Well, Russell, we appreciate you you taking so much time out of uh, a night during the week here to chat with us. Um, thanks for coming on Sandcast. Is there anything else that you want to add, anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to mention um, or just any other athletes you want to shout out? No, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I think um, I'm, I am biased. Um, you know, <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up playing volleyball and um, love the sport. I think it's one of the most exciting sports, um, especially at the women's level, to actually watch. And that's indoor beach. And then I think beach is even more exciting. And I think the environment um, that the competition happens in, the way it happens with so many, it's not just one matchup it's five matchups and the way it kind of builds and culminates and you know when you get the great matchups where it comes down to that last court and everybody kind of gravitate towards it there's just nothing like it in sport um so to have a women's sport um that just at its base is really exciting and then you add in the environment that beach volleyball brings I just think that's one of the reasons why it's the fastest growing NCAA sport in history. And I don't see it slowing down because now that it's picking up at the juniors level and it's spreading around the country and there's more and more athletes that want to do it. And so the opportunities like need to continue to grow. Schools will continue to add it. I just see it being a sport that, um, that I feel fortunate and honored to kind of be in the front, you know, kind of on the, not the very front, but in that front wave, um, that I think we're going to look back, you know, in 20 years and say, wow, look how far the sport has come. And I just, we talk to our players all the time about, you know, you're on the front edge of history. Like you're going to be a part of that first group, um, that 15, 20 years ago when these programs are all over the place and it's, you know, the most watched and most exciting sport and people, all around the country are, are really loving it, that they're going to be like, I, I was a part of that. Like I was there when it started. So I think it's a fun time. I'm honored to be a part of it. I love talking about our program. I love talking about the team. I love talking about the sport and, um, I love doing it. Like, it's just great. So, um, anytime I get the opportunity, I'm, I'm pleased. And, uh, I think that's kind of my message is if you're not familiar with it, find it and experience it because it's worth it and it's a lot of fun damn coach you're making me want to go practice <laughs> I need hey, to get out practice there. is always good it's always good <laughs> i'm getting excited <laughs> well we'll uh we'll reconnect when we have that wannabe crawfish boil <laughs> yeah perfect <laughs> i'll do i'll do what i can on my end to make sure that uh, <laughs> that they that they get it going all right. Sounds great, Coach. Well, again, thank you tons for coming on, and good luck to LSU this season. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a great night.